to set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Would you close your eyes for just a minute? I just have it on my heart to ask if there's anybody here that's in need of prayer today. We don't need to know all the details of what's going on in your life, but would you just slip up your hand and say, I need prayer. There are a few. Would you do me a favor while they've got their hands up? Would you turn and look and put your hands on their shoulder? Uh, Reach out to somebody close to you, those believers that are here today, and let's pray for one another. In the house of God, there's freedom. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So believers, just go ahead and pray according to the spirit for each one of those people, whatever their need is. Father, today we pray that as we lift them up, Lord, we know there are hearts that are grieving. We know that there are hearts that are struggling. Lord, we know that there are life circumstances that seem too big and monumental and that that are unconquerable. But Lord, today we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would meet the needs of your people. Those that have their hands raised, I pray that peace would come, that strength would come, and that grace would be their possession today. Lord, I thank you for the believers here and I thank you that you are the God who answers our prayer in Jesus mighty name and everybody said amen we are excited to be continuing and finishing out our mastermind series this week and next week uh, will be the last week Um, but I I want to ask you a question this morning that I thought of uh, this week in the development of this message and I wanted to ask you what if Jesus Christ were to come into the room today and audibly speak. If he spoke to one of us today and he said, this week, I'm going to give you my mind in all its fullness. What a blessing that would be, right? That that would be awesome to think as God thinks and to have those thoughts. But he would probably say something along the lines of, he wants people to know what a miracle he's going to perform. So he needs a before and after. Now let that sink in just for a second in case you haven't had enough coffee. And then he would show all of your thoughts from this past week on the big screen. I don't know if that terrifies some of you, if that scares you to death. But then next week, they'll witness the after so that they could see the miracle of the change of what he could do. Now, I know that uh, probably none of us would want to volunteer. I, I don't know about you, but I've had a few thoughts this week, especially while I drive, <clears throat> that I would not want uh, put on the big screen. But the idea of all of our private thoughts being exposed to public scrutiny might scare each one of us. Think about it. It's your thoughts about politics, your thoughts about your friends, your thoughts about your spouse, your thoughts about your kids, your thoughts about your boss, your coworkers. Even if your thoughts never get broadcast on a big screen, God knows them. And that's okay. He knows them and he wants to help you with them. So we've been in this series mastermind about changing our thinking so that we could change our life, so that we could live according to Christ and his design for us. In fact, the Bible tells us that Paul actually writes and says that God's goal is to transform you into the likeness 
of Christ and to take you from one dimension of glory or one level to another level of glory. And so I want to point out a couple of things to you today in this idea of, of really what it, what it means to have the mind of Christ. Jesus tells the church in Thyatira back in the Revelation series we did a few months back. In Revelation 2, he says this, I am he who searches mind and heart. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, you may remember the story, or you at least have heard this verse probably before, but I'll remind you of what the story is. Samuel is there, the prophet of God is standing with Jesse, and Jesse has lined up all of his sons. And Jesse is basically going, duck, 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 goose, you know, trying to figure out which one is which. And he gets to the last one in line and essentially says, his thoughts are penned in scripture for us. Surely this is the one. And then he asked Jesse, after God tells him no, then he asked Jesse, do you have another son? And Jesse tells him, yes, my son David, uh, he's the run of the litter. He's out with the sheep. But this is what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, just the latter part. He says, the Lord sees, God is telling Samuel this, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So we unconsciously assume that our outer physical, visible sort of actions are going to be the basis of our judgment. That's really something that we, we continue to think about all the time. But God, throughout his word, he places the importance or the emphasis on the inner man or woman, on the inner working of our thoughts and of our heart. I'll use those terms interchangeably, mind and heart. Obviously, this does not think, this thinks, okay? So when we say that, we're just talking about the inner life that you have, whether it is mind or heart. So God places the emphasis on the inner invisible actions. And the mind has always been more important to God than the outward, He's always been worried and concerned, not worried as in like, you know, anxiety, but he's always been more concerned about the inner working of who we are and who we're becoming than he is with the outward actions. In the Old Testament, the emphasis was on the heart. And at some times the Bible uses that word heart uh, where we would use the word mind. So for instance, Proverbs 23, 12 says this, apply your heart to instruction. Or another word would be discipline. Well, I can't apply my heart. I'm going to apply my mind and my thoughts. In the New Testament, Jesus used the word heart in the same sense. In uh, chapter 9 of uh, Matthew, he says to the people who are gathered there, Jesus, knowing their thoughts in verse 4, why do you think evil in your hearts? How many of you would be honest and say you've thought evil in your heart at some point in your life? Okay. So Jesus calls them out in this moment and says, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your hearts? Since our minds are responsible for our actions, we must exchange the mind, our mind, for the mind of Christ. And today, the title of the message that I want to give you is The Great Exchange. Now, the word exchange, you're familiar with it. We use it all the time, but here's what the definition is. It's the act of giving one thing and receiving another in return. So I'll trade you my horse for your horse. I'll trade you my baseball cards for your Twinkie. I don't know. I was trying to think of like, you know, kid stuff. I'll trade you whatever. Um, So the exchange is this act of giving one thing and getting something in return. 
In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells the Philippians, he says this, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So he wants us, he is saying, communicating to us, that we should have the mind of Christ. Now, how many of you have ever heard the term double-minded? Right? We've heard that? Okay. A double-minded person. That would be someone somewhat of a hypocrite, someone who acts a certain way, says something different. Listen to what King David says in Psalm 119. He says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. I tell you, David probably faced his foes that were double-minded, who underhandedly did things against him. Listen to what James says in the first chapter of James. He encourages the believers. He says this. He tells them to have faith and to not doubt in chapter 1 of James. Verse 7, he says this. For that person who has faith and doubt must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the point is this, that we need to be single-minded when it comes to our life, not just our spiritual life, but every aspect of our life. And we truly do need the mind of Christ. We do not need our own mind. We need God's help. So if we're going to change our thinking and change our life, we really do need to allow God to help us. Uh, the truth is we cannot do this alone. You cannot just will yourself healthy. You cannot just will yourself to be rich. How many of you have tried? No, you cannot will yourself. Like you can't just think good thoughts and head in that direction. That is just not the way it works. But when it comes to our spirituality and the core of who we are as people, God says, if you turn over your thoughts to me, I will assist you. In fact, Amy mentioned during worship today that he will send the helper who will not just be alongside you, but he'll live inside of you. Amen. T.W. Hunt said this. He said, we must consciously and consistently separate our inner life from worldly patterns of thought in order that our outer life can accomplish God's purposes. I want you to think about that. Dwell on that for a moment. That we must consciously and consistently separate our inner life from those worldly patterns of thought in order that our life can accomplish God's purposes. In other words, he's saying essentially there is a battlefield in your mind. And we need to be careful and be aware of where the battle is and how to handle it when it comes. So when we receive salvation, God immediately changes. He alters your eternity, your destination for eternity. But if you're a 35-year-old individual and you get saved in that moment, you've had 35 years of other patterns of thinking and other behaviors, and those are not necessarily just immediately eradicated. Now, my father tells a story. Um, it's a true story of his own life. He was a drug runner, a grower, a dealer, uh, all of those things. And he woke up one morning and said to his wife, my mom, said, honey, do you want to go to church today? And she thought, well, surely he's high. It's not even nine in the morning. What are you talking about? We don't go to church. And they went to church that day. And the pastor 
his name was, uh, br- my mom calls him Brother Nicholson. I don't know if he had a first name, but Brother Nicholson uh, preached a message in a little tiny country church in a weird name city, Immokalee, Florida, way back in 1980. When they went into church that day, they just thought they'd be there to, you know, get a, a word of some sort. Maybe my dad was feeling a little down in despair, but the pastor preached a message on salvation and told them that you can have hope if you give up the things that you're living for now and turn your life over to Christ. And that day, my dad walked an altar and my mom came with him. They prayed together and my dad was saved. He never again picked up drugs never once in his life picked up drugs. He didn't have it. The habits of the years gone by were gone just like that. So there is the possibility that those things that we've been behaving like over the years can instantaneously go. But for the vast majority of people, if you come to faith in Christ, there are things that you have to learn to let go in a process. And so I want to help you today. The truth is the spiritual mind develops much like the mind of a child. And I don't know that we think about this that often, but I really want to put you in that place today to think about this, that at spiritual birth, we have the mind of Christ, but in subsequent growth and maturity, as we grow and mature, our mind has to do battle with other things. So it's much like a child who is growing in their knowledge at school and in life and social uh, interactions and all those things, and they start to mature. Hopefully they mature on par with their age and everything goes according to plan. Okay, some of, okay, never mind, I won't go there. Anyway, having said that though, we have to have a spiritual mind that is consistently maturing. Now, I'll give you an example. We had a a lady who was a greeter. She was on the First Impressions team in Hawaii, at our church in Hawaii. And I can remember this horrible, terrible day when she verbally, where he could hear, criticized someone for coming into church wearing flip-flops, shorts. He had hair down to his belt line, sleeveless shirt on, just came off the beach, it looked like, sleeve tattoos up and down his arms. And she, yeah, it's Hawaii, right? I mean, and she verbally criticized him out loud. Oh my gosh, can you imagine what he, why is he dressed like that? Does he not know he's coming to church? Needless to say, she didn't serve at the doors much longer after that. Uh, just because we don't, here's the deal. She was expecting a place of spiritual maturity and I'm, we're not talking about tattoos and all that other stuff. She was expecting them to act and walk and look just like a believer when they came to the door. And the truth is they don't. The truth is us, we, the believers in the house of God have some behaviors and patterns in our life that still need work even after we've been saved 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So we should all, and really the crux of this message, the the heart of it is this, that we are a work in progress, but the point is to progress, not to stay stuck where you are. So at spiritual birth, we are given the mind of Christ, but as we grow and mature, we've got to fight with some other things. And I want to tell you what some of those other things are. We've talked about them a little bit, but the first one is this, established habits. That would be years of repeated behavior that then is hard to undo. Uh, So we've got to understand our mind is going to do battle with things like this. Uh, The second thing would be this, current culture. 
How many of you have seen culture change for the better? Anybody? Okay. It's gone down the hill, hasn't it? So current culture, and here's what it really is. Current culture is self-glorifying. It's all about me, 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 me. Self-worship, self-glorification, self-service, all of those things. And so we've got to understand that we are doing battle with the culture. The idea here is that culture is always, always fighting for you, fighting to get you. The third thing is this, entertainment. Now, this is a tough one. Uh, maybe some of the men in the room just say, ah, I just watch sports. I don't watch anything else. Some of the ladies, ah, I just watch this one or two shows or these 10 or 12 shows or you know, you Netflix binge uh, every weekend or whatever it may be. But here's the deal. The entertainment on a, on a big scale, on a large scale today is despicable and it's ungodly. It really is. I don't know, please don't raise your hand. I don't know if any of you know of the show Game of Thrones that has been shown on HBO. Uh, Last year's viewership was over 23 million people. Uh, It's basically ultra-violent wizard pornography that involves incest, lighting people on fire, service to witches. It's just, it's absolutely crazy to think that we could watch that sort of stuff and not go down a spiral that is devoid of morality. We've got to understand that what we put into us or allow into us will at some point affect who you are. And I say that not to just harp on a TV show or to be like some old folky, but the other thing I would thought about this week was entertainment. A lot of the teenagers that I spend time with and I minister to both at school and through the church here, uh, they like to listen to rap music. Some of you might have heard some of the songs. But listen, they objectify women. They glorify rape. They talk about theft all the time. In fact, one of the big hit songs was, I've got murder on my mind. Like that's a lyric from a song that we repeat all the time in today's culture. So that kind of stuff has got to be understood as being, we've got to vet the stuff we let into our life. That's what I'm saying. And you might be a little bit older and say, ah, the culture doesn't bother me. I don't really get into too much entertainment and that kind of stuff. You still need to put up some safeguards in your life to ask yourself whether this is good for you and your spirit. The fourth thing is this, and that would be Satan. It is not capitalized, Miss Christine, who does our uh, presentation software back there. She said, Pastor, I just have a hard time capitalizing. I said, yes, that's fine. You can put a lowercase s, okay, for Satan, right? Uh, And always uppercase G. I had to fix my autocorrect in my phone because if I ever text my mom and I say, like, thank God, and it's lowercase, she yells at me. And so like I put it in my keyboard, so it just autocorrects to a capital. So that ought to say, though, the enemy of God is the enemy of God's people. He is on the warpath against us. So listen to me, church. Uh, What I'm trying to tell you is this. Your mind is a battlefield, and it's happening all the time in your mind. And some of us aren't even self-aware enough to know that this battle is raging on. But the mind of Christ matures in a process of growth. I want to give you a couple thoughts about maturity. The first is this. Maturity is intentional. It's not accidental. This is a tough one for us to 
It's easy for us to spot it in other people's life, immaturity, but it's hard for us to be self-aware enough to know that we need to mature. But maturity is intentional, not accidental. So we don't accidentally grow, okay? We intentionally grow when we're talking about our, our spiritual life, our mind, our mental state. Uh, many believers have a problem with discipline. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people at First Baptist today. No, I'm, I'm saying we all struggle with this idea of being intentional about our spiritual life. And we are, we have a problem when it comes to disciplining ourselves. But the truth is, is we must choose to mature. You should not run from opportunities to mature. You should welcome them. They are hard. They are not easy. They do not bring joy in the moment most often, but they will be bringing joy as you realize the maturity has started to take its root. The second thing is this, is maturity is a lifelong process. It's got to be submitted to. It's got to be worked on and reworked. And even when you have a sense of accomplishment because you hit this milestone, there's still more work to be done. In each one of our lives, even if, if Billy Graham was still here on the earth, he'd still have work to be done in his life. He's been, he's ministered to millions of people and brought many people to faith in God. Yet there are places inside of him that God still says, you're not perfect. I want to help you. Will you let me? I think for us, we give up too fast. Yeah. I know I have. Okay, I'll let you help me right now. But tomorrow, I'm this, please, like, I hope I graduate from this lesson. And we don't, we don't want to have the same sort of lesson retold or replayed. The truth is, you've got room to grow. Each one of us have room to grow, myself included. Number three is this. Maturity is enabled by submission to the Holy Spirit. You can't get what God wants for you by simply trying to get what you want for you. You, you really need to understand that. If you're saying, and, and that's a wonderful song and a wonderful prayer, Lord, I want more of you. Set a fire in my heart. Set a fire in my heart. I want more. More of you and less of me, Scripture says. This maturity is enabled only by the Holy Spirit. It's an act of your will. We already said that. But it's submitting to the Holy Spirit and his work. The Bible essentially communicates to us that we're the subjects that God is working on. And the active agent that he uses to process the change and bring the transformation is the Holy Spirit. Our church is missing the Holy Spirit in many of our lives, in many of our days I want to read to you a section of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and tell you a few more things and some practical tips on winning this war uh, and exchanging your mind for the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, it says this, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here Paul is quoting, if you don't think the people in the Bible knew the Bible, they did. Okay, Paul was a student of the Old Testament. He's actually quoting directly in quotations you see in the top of that verse from Isaiah chapter 40, which basically says there's nobody who can tell God what to do. 
And he is saying that same thing, but he says, but we now have the mind of Christ. Since Christ has come, and we celebrated this last week during Easter, since he has come, he has lived a sinless life, he has died for us on a cross, and he has risen to new life again, he gives us the ability when we come to him to have his mind. So here's the truth about the mind of Christ, and there's a few points here, and I'll have the worship team come back and join me in just a minute. The first truth is this. The mind of Christ stands in sharp contrast to the wisdom of man. Uh, I listened to a podcast. Uh, I wouldn't suggest it, uh, not because it has bad content, but it's a scholar, a biblical scholar, who talks about Hebrew and Greek and all kinds of stuff. Sometimes I get confused and have to rewind several times to listen to it. But he was sharing on his podcast and saying that a set of circumstances has led him to leave the job of his lifetime to go and do something else in the same line of work and that kind of thing, but that the Lord divinely moved him and is moving his family. It defeats or defies rather all human wisdom. He's, he's had the job of his lifetime for years and years, and now he's risking it all to go and help build something brand new, somewhere totally new. He's never been before. But all of the conventional wisdom would tell him, don't do that. But God has led him to that. So we have to understand that God's mind is often at odds with our mind. Let me read to you verse 5 and 6 in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do not, or we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. There's a verse in Psalms that says that some men trust in horses and chariots, but I, I want to be the person who trusts in the Lord. He's the one who can save me and who can help me. The same thing is true here that God's mind, the mind of Christ that's available to us as believers often is at odds with the conventional wisdom of men. If I listened to the conventional wisdom of men, I wouldn't be here today. I would have never come or I would have left a long time ago. But I'm doing my best to listen to the wisdom of God and to say, God, hey, I believe in you. (laughs) I have faith and I trust in you. And that's something that's really important for each one of us to grab a hold of that God wants to help us. Now, the second thing, the mind of Christ involves wisdom from God. It's once hidden, but now been revealed. How's it been revealed? It's been revealed through Jesus Christ. Verse seven says this, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Because of Christ, we now have the ability I want you to think about this. This should, this will sound weird, but it should not be odd. Because of Christ, you now have the ability to think like God. So I think there's an error. No, nobody's wearing the, the wristband today, but there was an error in, in Christian subculture years ago. WWJD. Now, I'm not hating on you if you wore the bracelet. Everybody, you know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? There's a better thought, though, that we should have is what would Jesus think? Because I can change my outward actions. I have made my kids with gritted teeth say, yes, sir. 
I mean, I've made, I've manipulated their action in order to make sure that they obeyed and their heart, you know, if I told them to sit down, their heart on the inside was standing bold and brazen, you know, it's like that kind of thing. And we're like that as believers. So I want you to really get this into your mind today that it was once hidden, but now it's been revealed through Jesus Christ. And we have the ability to not just do what Jesus did, but to think as Christ would want us to think. The next thing is this. The mind of Christ is given to believers through the Spirit of God. I'll read verses 10 through 12. It says this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Aren't you glad Mm. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But verse 12 tells us this. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So it's the mind of Christ is available to us through the spirit of God because we have not been given the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is from God. A subtitle to this message could be this simple phrase. You need the Holy Spirit. You need him. You need him every day. This week, not just in preparation of this message, but there were some moments where I, my thoughts started drifting in certain ways. And I, I just had to rein it in, control it, and say, you know what? I can sit here and I can moan about those things. I can cry about them. I can worry about them. I can try to do something about them. Or I can just stop right now and say, Lord, would you help me think? the right way about this situation. God help me. And so we've got to continue. That's got to be a daily thing because all of you, because <laughs> all of you need it. You, you need the Holy Spirit and you need the mind of Christ. The fourth thing is this, and there's only five and I'll have the worship team come. The fourth thing is the mind of Christ cannot be understood by those who don't have the spirit. Look at what verse 14 says. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We say this all the time in our study of theology and in the Bible, that unless the Holy Spirit draws someone's heart to salvation, they can't just be saved. And just walk right up and be like, yes, I want this. It's God that does a work inside of them to help reveal or open up their mind to the truth of who he is and brings them to the place of making that decision in faith. Number five, the mind of Christ gives believers discernment in spiritual things. Verse 15 says this, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Verse 16 then continues, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer is no one can tell God what to do, but we do have the mind of Christ and he wants to help you know what to do. I was talking to one of our college students recently about an opportunity that she had uh, that was put before her to go to New Zealand. And she came and received prayer at the end of one of our services. 
And she said, Pastor, I just, I need to know. I'm not really sure. I kind of feel like it's a good thing. Not really sure if I have the money for it. I, I, I want to go. I want to help. I want to be part of it. But I just don't know. And I said in that moment, and she just put it on Facebook a couple days ago. I said in that moment, the Holy Spirit will guide you if you just listen to him. Just trust God. And now she's going to be going to New Zealand. And I'm jealous uh, that she's going to be going to New Zealand because the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ helped her discern that spiritual matter of whether or not, which affects our physical matter, whether or not we should or should not do something. I want to give you some practical tips. The practical tip that you can use in exchanging your mind for the mind of Christ, that first one is to read his word. If you're not doing that, you need to repent. That is, you need to say, God, I'm sorry, but not just I'm sorry, but God, I'm sorry, and I'm doing better starting right now. That's what that means. So if you're not reading the word, read it. We, there are people all over the world that don't have access to the living word of God, and yet we carry around 792 versions of it at the fingertip, and we don't spend seven minutes a week reading it. So if you feel bad today about that, that's conviction. You shouldn't feel guilty because I'm telling you this. You should feel guilt knowing that God wants to put his word inside of you to help give you strength in the moments that you're weary, to give you wisdom in the moments that you're confused, to give you direction for your life. He wants you to know him more. The second thing is this, give your thoughts to God in prayer. You need to be self-aware enough to be able to know what you're thinking. And you do. You just need to take time to process the thoughts that you have. Being reminded of what God says in his word, where he says, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That doesn't sound fun. I didn't sign up for this. No, but God wants to grow you. So he'll let you grow in any circumstance that you allow him to. The next thing is cut off the bad influences. Just, I'm not the guy who's preaching against TV or entertainment, music styles and all that stuff. I'm just simply telling you, and here's the deal. It's not just entertainment. It could be that gossip of a friend who never shuts up telling you the business of everybody else. It could be a bad influencer, a person in your life who who is always down, who won't listen to instruction, who never actually took your advice when you told them you should pray about this and talk to your pastor or whatever. Whatever the idea is there is if you have an influence that is challenging the mind of Christ, cut it off. Stop the power supply today. Years ago, and I think some of you will remember this, there were public service announcements on TV uh, to give to a college fund. And the end of the commercials, they always said this, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Because they wanted you to give to that college fund to provide for the education for the person maybe in the um, inner city who was going to be the first person in their family to go to college. And so they wanted you to support their, their program. And they said, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I think to myself, I'd like to edit that to say, a Christian mind is a terrible thing to waste. Would you stand with me today? I know we offered prayer at the beginning, 
to pray for one another, but we want to give you the opportunity here at the close of the service to pray as well and to receive prayer. Meg's going to be at that prayer station and I'll go to this one. I want us to just pray the simple prayer that we often pray here, which is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Because maybe when I said that, you immediately thought of something that you need to take action on this week. Maybe it's read the word. Maybe it's turn your thoughts into prayers. Maybe it's to cut off a bad influence or an influencer. But God wants you today to have the mind of Christ. So whatever is challenging or stopping you from getting the mind of Christ, we just pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I promise I'll do whatever it is you tell me. But if you need prayer for any reason, the worship team sings one song and we'll close in just a moment. But if you're struggling with thoughts today of depression or anxiety, maybe it's anger, maybe it's bitterness or hurt, maybe it's just chaos that you're enduring in some area of your life, I believe God wants to set you free. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so that's been my prayer leading up to this message. God, would you help set your people free? I believe today can be the day for you to be free from that old pattern, that old thought, whatever it might be. So that's what we want to do today. If you're going to stay in your seat, just worship with the worship team. But if you need prayer for any reason, even if it's about finances or marriage or a job situation, we'd love to pray for you. You don't have to be a member here to receive prayer. We just want to pray for you briefly and encourage you. Jesus is called.